Recovery Elevator, episode 206. I had a pint of salmon fly honey rye beer in my hand when this uh, bartender told me that. And right then, once I realized what I had done, it just, a, a switch turned on. And I said, that's it. I put the drink down. That was the last drink I ever had. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Dusty. He's from Bozeman, Montana. He's been sober since September 21st, 2015, and he says that life is just easier without alcohol. On January 1st of this year, I launched the third private and unsearchable Facebook accountability group. All signups starting January 1st to January 31st will be placed in this cafe area group, and you will also have access to the forum, which is located outside of Facebook. We've already got several members in the group who are moving forward in life without alcohol. If you're needing extra accountability, support, and you like the feeling, I'm not the only one going through this, then Cafe RE is for you. This group will be capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy, and there is so much love and encouragement in these groups. For the entire month of January, just three days left, you can use the promo code 2019 for 75% off registration. Again, that's promo code 2019, and this is only for January. It's just $19 a month after that. And now let's hear from Blinkist. I know we all have goals to hit, whether it's eating healthier or exercising more. And sometimes it can be hard to achieve all these while struggling with other aspects of life. There is an app I highly recommend and I personally use to help you hit your goals a bit easier. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of books quickly without reading the entire book. With an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy to finish four books a day while you're on the go. 8 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, to history books. I like Blinkist because I reread The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss in just 15 minutes. Same thing goes with Eat, Move, Sleep by Tom Rath. I use Blinkist when I'm walking my standard poodle, Ben. I don't know about you guys, but my to-read list is long, and Blinkist helps with that. And right now, Blinkist, for a limited time, has a special offer just for my audience, Go to Blinkist.com forward slash elevator to start your seven-day free trial. Again, that's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com forward slash elevator, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R, to start your seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com forward slash elevator. Okay, let's get started. I just finished reading a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. It isn't specifically a recovery book, but some of the ideas and themes can be applied to getting sober and staying sober. The book discusses why some ideas catch fire and others don't. I'd like to talk about the idea or concept of sobriety and when that idea hits an internal tipping point. Once an idea, sobriety, hits a tipping point, there's no going back. Once enough momentum is gained, this idea will permeate in all parts of your life. Once you hit this threshold, you can't go back to your old way of life because you've awakened from a false reality. What this means is drinking will no longer be the same. And I apologize if I've ruined alcohol for a lot of people. Actually, I take that apology back. Alcohol is shit. Before we focus more on sobriety specifically, here's some fun examples of tipping points and how powerful they can be. Let's talk about fax machines. In 1984, Sharp came out with the first fax machine that was relatively affordable and wasn't the size of a car. They sold about 80000 a year for the first couple of years, which isn't a lot. There was about one home on your neighborhood that had a fax machine. But it wasn't until a tipping point in 1987, and in 1990, there were over 5 million fax machines in U.S. homes. Instagram started in 2010 and had moderate to steady growth for the first two years. And then, boom! The tipping point happened in 2012 when everyone, including my neighbors Dachshund, needed an Instagram account. Oh yeah, you can also follow Recovery Elevator on Instagram. Here's my favorite example, and the transformation can be just as profound like sobriety. So there isn't much difference between 33 degrees and 32 degrees. Your skin probably won't even notice the difference. However, once this critical tipping point is reached, a lot changes. Rain turns from a liquid into snow. That's a huge change. The same thing can happen to you, and I've experienced it myself. Your body and mind will eventually reach tipping points in this journey. Once these tipping points have been reached, there is no going back. When it comes to the journey into sobriety, there are two tipping points that I want to cover in this episode. The first one happens when you start to question whether alcohol is serving a positive purpose in your life, and the second one occurs when you quit drinking. The first tipping point most of you have already reached since you're currently listening to a recovery podcast. 
This happens when an idea starts gaining energy and momentum in the body and mind. This idea initially, which is more of a statement and a question, goes something like this. There was a time when alcohol was great. Perhaps it was my best friend. But I feel I've reached a crossroads with my relationship with alcohol, and this may not be serving me anymore. Once this idea pops up, which usually happens in a moment of clarity, there is no going back. Once that first Google search of do I have a drinking problem has been conducted, that's a one-way street. Once you become aware that you're consciously putting rules into place, consciously thinking about it, you cannot return to the idea of drinking like those thoughts never happened. Once you become mindful that alcohol might not be what you thought it was, you've awakened. At first, the awakening may be brief in duration, but it builds over time. So how do we reach this tipping point? Well, this is different for everyone. But from what I have learned while hearing people's story on this podcast is that it isn't the external signposts. Heck, I had three close DUI scares in my 20s, and I still didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. Most of us completely ignore the external signs. This tipping point is reached when our body starts to reject the alcohol. The body usually starts sending the mind signals in the form of anxiety, depression, and sometimes vital organs start to revolt. A dysfunctional relationship with the present moment starts to build, and our intuition senses that something isn't right. It may take a while for us to connect the dots, but eventually we hit a tipping point. For some, this tipping point is clear as day, and for others, it can be more nebulous, but it's there, and eventually, we'll figure it out. The second tipping point is when we depart from alcohol, when we acquire enough knowledge, listen to enough podcasts, read enough recovery books, watch enough YouTube videos, attend enough AA meetings, have had enough hungover workouts, or wake up for the 1,000th consecutive day feeling unrested, that we are ready to embrace sobriety. Looking back at my sobriety, this tipping point came on January 1st, 2010, when I pulled the book Beyond the Influence by Catherine Ketchum off the shelf. It's one of the best recovery books I've ever read, but perhaps it was because I was at my tipping point. I was ready to move forward in life without alcohol, and removing alcohol from my life proved to be the one domino that knocked all the others down. Many of you have had several tipping point experiences after reading books such as The Easy Way to Control Alcohol by Alan Carr, or after reading This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And in the interview with Dusty, we'll cover his tipping point he experienced in a bar over three years ago. Oh yeah, and after the interview, I'm going to cover a third tipping point that we want to avoid. And before we hear from Dusty, let's hear from ZipRecruiter. You know what's not smart? Job boards that send you candidates that aren't qualified for the role you posted. Job boards that send you a mile-high stack of resumes to sort through. Job boards that just assume qualified candidates will see and apply to your job post. Job boards that can make you wait for the right people to apply for your job. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply for your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. That's E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R. ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Dusty, how are you? Good, Polly. Man, it's great to be in the studio here. Yeah. Oh, wow, this is something else, man. It is. And listeners, I'd say about 98% of the interviewees on this podcast are done from all across the world with the beauty of Skype and the internet. But I've done three. I think three. And I think you're the third or the fourth that I've done in person. And guys, I'm excited for this interview. I've been bugging Dusty about it for, I don't know, maybe a year. And he's one of my best friends here in Bozeman, Montana. And I am such a lucky guy to have a sober comrade like yourself. And we've had a, a, a ton of great sober memories together. I'm sure we're going to talk about this. But, man, I just got to say thank you for doing the interview. Thanks for being part of my sobriety. And thank you for making my recovery journey easier. It's made a world of difference to have somebody like you that's been so instrumental in my support system that I can just get in my car and drive over to your house. So thank you, Dusty. Thank you, man. And I literally could just repeat exactly everything you just said to me back to you. And also, Happy New Year's. Yeah. Today is January 1st. We are ringing in the New Year's sober. 
getting things accomplished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. So this this episode comes out late January, I think the 25th or the 28th, but it's it's Tuesday, January 1st, and what am I feeling in my head? Uh, duh, duh, duh. Oh, it's just it's a clear head. Actually, no anger. I'm not feeling anything. I'm feeling great. How about you? Yeah. How are you feeling? Not tired. Man, I've already got like, was helping my dad shovel snow earlier. Man. I've just been getting after it today. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great feeling. And I remember some New Year's days were just absolutely miserable. Yeah. No, right now, if I was still drinking, I would just be hung over on a couch watching football, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but not really the way I want to start my year off anymore. No, no, not at all. And, and Dustin, I'm excited to share your story with listeners. Um, but before we get any further, how long have you been sober? I just hit 39 months. So like 39 months and a week. Or two weeks. And your sobriety date September 21st, 2015, correct? Yes, sir. Congratulations, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, how's it feel? Oh, it feels great. You know, like, they talk about the pink cloud, and I still have, like, a bit of it. Still. Like, it, when I remember, when I remind myself that I'm sober, it just immediately picks me up. Every time. Every time. And, Dusty, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, Dusty, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I am a native Bozeman, Montanan. Uh, I've lived here most of my life. Uh, I did leave for a few years, lived in uh, uh, mainly Louisville, Kentucky for a few years after college. And then anybody that went to the Bozeman retreat can understand that this place just kind of sticks its uh, claws in the end and you never, you know, you always want to come back. So, so eventually I came back and, I've, and uh, so now I am uh, an accountant. I'm 38 years old. I don't have a family or anything. Mainly the big things I love to do is uh, I love playing recreational sports. I just started playing hockey this year for the first time. Didn't even know how to skate before I started. And, uh, and now we rang in the new year last night at a friend's house playing hockey. We did. Sober. Sober. We were skating around at 1230 in the morning, and it was negative 5, negative 6. It didn't feel like it, though. No, it felt yeah. incredible. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for getting us up to speed. Yeah, Dusty, and give listeners a background about your drinking. Describe your drinking habits, how much you drank, did you ever attempt to regulate, and when did you first start to realize that alcohol might not be serving a purpose in your life anymore? Uh, mainly started drinking in high school, probably when I was 16. Started going to parties every weekend, and I just fell in love with it. Drinking beer with buddies and, and getting, getting drunk was such a good time, and I, I absolutely loved it, and I just got a, kind of addicted to that. And then same thing through college. It was uh, just mostly just partying, had a lot of fun and, and everything. And then once I graduated college and then got into my career, that's, that's, when the, that's when my drinking started occurring a lot more frequently. Since I didn't have homework to do in the evenings, it was uh, just drinking PBR tall boys every night during the week and then, then on the weekend just crushing it. And that's kind of when it started going down kind of in a spiral and... Then, you know, so instead of drinking to, to have fun and whatnot, it was more just like, oh, we'll just get like lonely or whatever and nothing or boredom and just sit around in an apartment and, and drink and by myself a lot. And, and that's when it, uh, yeah, that's when it started kind of going out of control. Yeah. So you're, you're hanging out at your apartment. You're recognizing that you're drinking alone and it might not be normal drinking. Did you ever put any rules in the place? Did you ever try to quit before? And yeah, walk us through that period of your drinking. Yeah, there were certainly times, like, in the back of my mind, after a while, I started realizing that maybe I do have a problem. Um, and But, you know, I never would act on it, or, or sometimes I would t- try to take a month off. Thankfully, I never drank, like, at work. I could always turn that off, but it was after 5 o'clock, then it would, it would, it would be on. But, so first, I would, you know, try to, like, not drink on the weekdays, only do on the weekends. That would last, like, three days. And then I would try to cut out beer because obviously, I'd, you know, I'd put on a lot of weight. So I would just drink whiskey because that uh, I figured that would help in the weight loss. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, yeah, just, just just things like that. I think every alcoholic does trying to regulate and trying to just set rules that they don't they won't drink before or after certain things and whatnot. But it, it never really worked. Yeah, that was going to be a question. Did any of those ever work? No. <laughs> Not no. at all. No. <laughs> and, uh, you're, you're episode 206, Dusty, and uh, I think we're 206 and O, as in those are O and 206. They never work. And, and so you're in Louisville. and, and Louisville. How do, how do you say it properly, actually? 
Louisville. Louisville. I'll take your word for it. If you're from Cincinnati, you pronounce it Louisville. Louisville. Okay, yes. And uh, so after that region, did you do like a geographical cure when you moved back to Bozeman? Did you hope to maybe drink less when you made that, that move back? No, not really. I was actually pretty pumped about it because I still had so many friends here that it was just... Uh, didn't really drink out of loneliness anymore. I had uh, plenty of drinking buddies back from college that I, you know, was able to reconnect with. I, but I still would have the same habits. I would still drink pretty much every day after work. Not necessarily get drunk, but like it was really tough to just keep driving past the the gas station after work every day and not pick up a couple of tall boys. And but I would I would only buy just enough to last me through the night because I knew if I bought you know like a case of beer then I would just just crush them, you know. Maybe not drink them all till they were gone, but pretty close. Like that was kind of usually my mindset. I'll just drink everything I have now and then shut it off the other night. So I never had beer at home. And Dusty got sober at 35. How old are you when you first started to realize the writing's on the wall, the gig is nearly up, we need to make a change in our life? I think it was in, you know, my late 20s once like the the voice was saying that you know maybe maybe there's a we got we have a drinking problem here you know but it was never one I took super seriously like it just kind of was in the back of my mind but uh, it never really prevented me that much from drinking you know it took a it took a rock bottom moment to to make that happen and let's talk about this rock bottom moment and the the theme for today's podcast is tipping points I got the idea from a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. It's all about how an idea gains momentum and, and something can suddenly happen or it can be a culmination of energy surrounding an idea that forces us to make change. And talk to us about your tipping point, when it was, what happened, and the day after when you finally realized what you did and what did happen. So it was Saturday, September 20th, and it was, so we were watching college football all day you know, in the downtown uh, bars of Bozeman, and I just, yeah, I probably put on a 10-hour bender you know, just drinking all day at the bars. And so by the end of the night, I was, you know, I was pretty lit. And then, uh, but I, you know, I remember, you know, going home and, and whatnot. And then the next, the next day, a friend of mine, she was leaving town for like eight months. So she was having a going away party at uh, one of the bars that I had been to the, the night before. And we're just hanging out, you know, just having, you know, some Bon Voyage drinks. And suddenly uh, this bartender comes up to me and she just starts laying into me and she goes if you were if I was working last night I would have booted your ass out of here and I'm just like what are you talking about and I have no clue what this girl is talking about and she's like you went and kicked so and so last night and you know scared her to death and if I you know if I if I was a man I probably would have beat the hell out of you and but if I was working I certainly would have thrown your ass out of this bar I'm like what are you talking about? There's no way she's talking about me. And then, so what had happened is apparently, and I, I still have no memory of this to this day, but uh, this girl I know, she's the sweetest girl in the world. Like I would never ever do anything to really hurt anybody, but especially her. She was, she's just the kindest person I've ever met. And apparently, I don't know what she said, but, or what she did, but apparently I just, I kicked her really hard. And then, uh, I realized, though, that it was probably truth because she, by total coincidence, she happened to be at the bar that day, too. Really? Yeah. The, the girl that you kicked the night before, just was, and you guys both randomly went back to the same bar the yeah, next day. Yeah, she, was, away she party. was just hanging out with some friends, wow. just, you know, Sunday, fun day, you know. And I, and I happened the, to look over at her, and that, that rock-bottom moment was when I looked at her and the look that she gave me. Jesus. That's when I realized that what this bartender telling me is probably true. And, and the bartender was a mediator in this whole situation, basically. Yeah. Shedding light on what you did last night. And you looked over this girl and her face was... Just like fear, shock, you know, obviously extremely uncomfortable. And then I'm looking around and there's like other people she's sitting with. And I could, several dudes I could that were looking at me that I could tell wanted to kick my ass. Yeah, the energy shifted quickly. Yeah, yeah. And... And, 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 you know, you've had the, had the pleasure of knowing you for years. You know, that's just not like me, you know. And no, like, when you, Dusty, and when you, when you told me the story, I was like, you? Yeah, you sure about this? I mean, Dusty, 
Yeah, one of the nicest guys I know. So, but again, alcohol is shit. It can force us or make us do things that we normally wouldn't do. Yeah. And so I'll never forget it. I had a pint of salmon fly honey rye beer in my hand when this uh, bartender told me that. And right then, once I realized what I had done, it just a, a switch turned on. And I said, that's it. I put the drink down. That was the last drink I ever had. I went and paid my bill and uh, I'd made up some story to my friends that I sure. had to go. Just being an accountant, you can get out of you can get out of stuff by yeah. saying it's tax season. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or, or, you know, well, I got uh, I got taxes to file. So I uh, I just yeah, got out of there, paid my bill and uh, and like that whole like kind of first month like I, I didn't was, see you much that month. No looking back. No, not at all. Nobody saw you that first month. No, I laid pretty low, also, you know, partly out of shame and uh, and just figuring out what the hell had happened, you know, and realizing I'm never drinking again. Let's back it up a little bit before this tipping point. Were there signs on the wall? Was there anything, other indicators, any health issues or other, other like mini rock bottom moments where like, I think I need to quit or was... I mean, you're pretty much one and done. This is—it's kind of a rarity that I that I hear stories like this. Uh, I would like I was having health issues, but I didn't attribute them to drinking. I didn't realize that it was it was because of drinking until after I quit. Gotcha. Like, especially you know, in the last two years of my drinking, I I had put on quite a bit of weight. I was you know, right now I'm I hover between you know 182, 185 right in there, but. You know, around that, you know, three years ago, I was like 215. Yeah. So I was, I was tubby, you know. And uh, and I just was getting a lot of health issues from that. I would get uh, shin splints. Um, and then, uh, you know, I look back at it now and laugh, but I would get gout. Like every every fall, right? At the mm. same time as September, every year. And it was awful. It was horrible. I could hardly walk trying to coach fifth and sixth grade football. <laughs> yeah. You need to walk to do that. Limping around. And, uh, but, uh, um, and then suddenly all, like, all that stuff stopped once I quit drinking. And I think obviously it must have been, you know, probably body was reacting to probably all the grain from all the booze I was drinking, you know. And finally, you know, I took that out of my diet. And suddenly all that stuff went away. And let's drill deeper into this first week, the first month after you quit drinking. Because I, I, I've been there. When you're at home, the first couple of days of sobriety, you're, it's not only like, okay, I've got to stay away from alcohol. You also realize, holy crap, my life has drastically changed if I want this to stick. I, I have to change a lot of things. I am no longer who I was or who I think I am. I need to be somebody different. Talk to us what the feelings were like, the emotions were like. and Can you pinpoint a specific time where... You wanted to go back. I remember one of the biggest emotions I felt was just fear and scared because I couldn't. That was the first time in my life I'd ever lost absolute control. Was that night when I kicked that girl, and and I, I just couldn't believe it. I did something that I would never ever do, and uh, um, it just that that's that scared me straight right there. You know, just just the fear. No, I know exactly what you mean with that fear. It often leads us back to the drink. And so the first week, how did you overcome that fear? Did you ever get any cravings? Because a lot of stuff has to change. Like I mentioned, we didn't see you. There's a group of like six of us that hang out often in Bozeman, and we didn't see you for that month. What were you doing? Uh, just just going to work and then going home, but was just in constant, Just that was constantly on my mind, you know, but... The, the one thing I was 100% sure of was I was never drinking again. Like, it was just, it was done. It was over for me. I was like, yep, I'm never, never touching this again. That I was so afraid. But so what I would, what I was doing, I was uh, doing a lot of walks, listening to a lot of just, just music, just, just, just staying active. Must have listened to the Foo Fighters a million times during that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of cool out of that. I got a, like a, sobriety anthem uh there's a song called by the foo fighters called times like these and i must have listened to that song a thousand times and you know it would just kind of uplift me and you know help me get through that initial just shock and fear and you know just setting setting me on the right path you know of just 
positivity in a life without without alcohol and i haven't looked back i want to talk about a moment of clarity for a second and just a straight up surrenders what it seems like what happened on that sunday at the bar when the bartender's like hey you see that gal over there here's what happened you realized oh my gosh one of the first times i've ever lost physically control of my limbs i assaulted another woman in a bar and again you're one of the nicest guys i know dusty i heard the stories like dusty did this no way and i heard it from you it's like oh my gosh and so this moment of clarity when you can get the message directly to the unconscious mind you had your last, you didn't even finish your last salmon fly, paid the bill, walked out, and you were done for good or, or up into this moment. That's incredible. And I got to give you props because relapse was a huge part of my story. And there's no right or wrong way to do this. It's not to say, oh, I didn't have that moment of clarity. I need to go have another moment of clarity. It could be a culmination, a tipping point for me. My tipping point happened after I had enough day ones, enough relapses. But Dusty, your, your stories, it's inspiring. I, I've, I've referenced your story a couple of times and talking to people because people often ask me, do I have to, hit, have to hit this fiery rock bottom? And yours definitely is emotional rock bottom and, and there could have been some other wreckage, but no, you don't have to have multiple bottoms, multiple things that happen. You had one thing and you basically never look back. And, and even you told me about six weeks after this happened, I was like, whoa, dude, like you're, you're sober. And we, we were good friends back at that point, but our relationship has since deepen in sobriety we've got something huge in common and this moment of clarity was so profound that you basically just stayed sober like you didn't drink but you didn't have the characteristics of a dry drunk which is somebody who's just doing this on willpower you have an infectious laugh um like everything in your life got better and you just knew you weren't going to be drinking again i mean you didn't go to your first aa meeting until you went with me after like year two and a half years being sober right yeah just after two year anniversary two year that's right that's right. So how did you do it after the first month, the first three months, the first six months? How'd you do it? Well, so that, yeah, that first month obviously was just seclusion and just figuring out what's next. And then, but I did, I did know that I had to, you know, I had to start telling people. And you were actually the first one I told. And yeah, I always remember that conversation. And then from there, it was, it was great. I had to, you know, it was with you having a fellow uh, sober person, it was great having an ally and just an accountability buddy but you know one of the, like the biggest things that's helped is not just having you know you as a, as a friend in my life but just all my other friends you know like as you can attest we have we have a great group of friends and none of them none of them turned their back on me or anything if anything it made all my relationships with all those friends stronger you know they once i told them to that uh, you know i was an alcoholic and i'm, I'm done drinking like 100% support and now they you know they, they watch out for me that now they'll they'll you know make sure there's uh, you know if we're ordering around you know they'll definitely get me an O'Doul's or a club soda now you know to, just to make me feel included and yeah and I, it's, it's just really wonderful just having just the people in my life so that was that was really big for me so like I wasn't really drawn to AA since I already kind of had a support group in place but then I, I then I started getting into our recovery elevator and whatnot, and uh, really got into just the Facebook page and whatnot, and got really in, just involved with that, and you know soon had you know accountability through that, and then I remember this three months in you had a just a Bozeman recovery elevator meetup, just mostly just people from around the state came down. Yeah, that was January of 2016. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was and, cool. And. Uh, um, it was the, like the cool thing about it was that was the first time I just spoke to strangers about my my drinking issues and I was amazed at honestly how easy it was like and how good it can feel a person I have never seen until five minutes ago I'm now telling like the most embarrassing moment of my life and it was really cool and liberating yeah the camaraderie of sobriety is incredible in fact last night we were talking about the Bozeman retreat and there was there's four gals on the Bozeman Bozeman retreat that all live in different states. They they all met in Philadelphia, and the four of them got matching tattoos. I mean, these bonds that are formed through sobriety, whether it's AA retreat with recovery elevator, whatever, you got you got to get out and, and find your tribe. Absolutely, and you know it's so now I you know I've connected with people from you know and then the Bozeman retreat and whatnot and. You know, it's 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 really cool. Like especially me, uh, 
maybe one of them might post that they might be struggling and whatnot. Like, it's really cool just to either just pick up the phone and call them or just send them a text, you know, something outside of the, of the you know, Facebook group and just check in on them, seeing how they're doing and, and just be that support when they need it. So in your 39 months of sobriety, what would you say has been your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge was probably just at the beginning. You know, I didn't want to tell everybody that I had a drinking problem. So when I would meet up with people, you know, every alcoholic has this, you know, especially when they first start recovery, what people will think. So like, you know, that first like month or two, like, uh, you know, I would meet up with, you know, some of the fellas and, you know, I would go watch like football on Sunday or whatever. And I would just order club soda. You know, and wasn't wasn't quite ready to tell a, a big group of people that uh, yeah I'm throwing in the towel on drinking, and so it was usually just like, oh yeah I'm just 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 taking a break for a little bit, you know, and then and then finally coming out and telling everybody that uh, yeah I'm 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 done drinking, and you know a lot of people were were surprised. I did a lot of my drinking in private too, you know. Sure. I would obviously you know crush it on the weekends with everybody, but no one was aware that I was stopping and picking up beers every night not necessarily getting drunk but sometimes getting drunk on like a freaking wednesday in my living room you know so that was just kind of a big challenge just telling people in my life and you know telling family and whatnot but you know and i think a lot of people can attest to this it was it was extremely beneficial and it was extremely positive you know i didn't uh, there no one was judgmental was, if any you know there may either be surprise or just 100 percent support so we're lucky with our friend group. I've heard stories where they have to, people have to just change all their friendships. Basically, they, they can't hang out with anybody anymore. We're lucky. There's about seven or eight of us that you're right. When they go to the bar, they come back with soda water, with a uh, splash of cranberry, et cetera. We got a great group of friends. And what are other reactions like? Because when we, like you said, the scariest part about it is telling people. When I first got sober, I thought the music would stop at every club or every bar that I walked into because I wasn't drinking. It's not the case. What, is the, what have the reactions been like for you? It's been great, and I've uh, I've realized I don't have to be uh, I, I don't have to be drinking to be the life of the party. <laughs> like, yeah, turns out I'm uh, just as uh, you know happy and funny at a party or at a bar with everybody without the alcohol. And honestly, my jokes are probably better, probably less mean. Let's let's go a little deeper right now. Referring to the quote, "Drinking is but a symptom." Do you know why you drank? Well, to kind of go back, I think, um, I mean, obviously, I'm probably genetically predisposed to it. It's on both sides of my family. And, uh, you know, my dad and then grandfather on both sides had drinking problems. And then it's, and then in my immediate family, you know, I have, I have siblings that, uh, you know, that are, have their own struggles with alcohol. So, I mean, that's probably the, the base root of the problem. But, you know, like I said earlier, when I was in high school, I mean, the, I just loved drinking because it was fun. Loved it, and then, and then, yeah, I was probably more pity drinking once I got into my late twenties and through my you know mid thirties till I quit drinking. And and so yeah, I think it was just like you know because when I moved out to Kentucky in two thousand six, I I didn't know a single soul there. Um, you know, eventually made friends there, but uh, you know, it was a lot of time just on my own and figuring out a way to keep myself entertained so. yeah when we're alone and we're bored and we know what fixes that it's, it's yeah it's hard to abstain from it and we, we mentioned the word tipping point earlier and you just mentioned your family i want you to talk a little bit about the tipping point that has happened within your family after you made the change to quit drinking more specifically with your brother and with your sister this is really cool talk to us about it uh, so yeah so i got uh, i have Two brothers, uh, actually three, but two of them that been having uh, struggles with alcohol, and uh, and then when you mentioned my sister, she doesn't have a struggle with alcohol, but she's kind of been in, you know, kind of a just a great supporter and an ally, and you know, in my in my efforts to quit drinking. So anyway, so just about two years ago, I I noticed my my brother, my my youngest older brother. I'm the baby. I'm the youngest of five in my family, and so my my youngest older brother he had a he, he had a really bad drinking problem. Uh, you know, I, he hurt his back. You know, with you know in the military, so it was just kind of a bad spiral with I think with depression and pain and whatnot. So I think he was just just drinking just to mask all of that, and 
and it was it was there was some pretty low moments when he he came out here to visit and I'm not going to go into detail on that but there was just some just really scary moments just like wow my brother he's he's going to drink himself to death you know but you know it's so I would give him support and 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 whatnot but and just lead by example so when I decided to quit drinking you know I I finally you know I told him that I was an alcoholic and you know and I I told him my story and quit drinking and and just from that point on you know I just wanted to be that what helped keep me sober was being accountable to him and just being a a good example for him to look up to you know which is something I use just one of the many things I used to help keep me sober so uh and then eventually just uh over a year ago he was like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go into a rehab house and spend a month there and 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 um and give up drinking it's it's he realized that uh you know it was it was the end for him he needed to stop and so uh so and it was great so i'd already had like you know over a year of sobriety in at the time and so i just gave him any piece of all the pieces of advice i could and i was like man build camaraderie make some friends in there build some camaraderie in there so you have friends sober friends when you get out and and he's just been doing great. He just hit a year last November. And then second oldest brother, he uh he had a health scare. He'd had a he'd had a pretty bad drinking problem. He lives out in Maryland. Um, and my sister lives out there too, so she, she keeps an eye on him. And he had a he had a really bad health scare and he had got like low potassium levels and whatnot, which I think is pretty common for people with drinking problems. And he was just his liver was 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 not doing good, you know. And so it was just kind of a wake-up call. And so uh, my sister, so she took him under his wing, um, but she started this group text message with myself, uh, my my brother who, who just hit a year, and then her and my brother-in-law, and then my brother Greg. And just it was just, uh, we'd just been just flooding with support to that group text. And so when I called him on Christmas, yeah, he had just hit his 60 days, and, you know, it, the coolest thing about my brother Greg is he, he's not, uh, he's always been really quiet, and just, it's, sometimes it can be hard to get a conversation going with the guy. Man, you could just, I could hear the light that is now, you know, in, in him, you know, he, I think he's, maybe he's riding that pink cloud or whatever, but he's sober, and you can just hear the happiness in his voice, and I hadn't heard that in over a decade. Yeah, you remove so cool. the depressant, and people aren't depressed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, take that poison out. Yeah, that's neat. And I'm all amped up on tipping points, <laughs> as you can see with this episode. But it looks like you created an idea, a tipping point within your family. Well, Dusty got sober. Shit, guess I'll get sober. Two brothers. That's that's incredible. Nice yeah. job. And thanks. I, I hope I hope you so re- cool. recognize the path that, that you've trailblazed. That's freaking awesome, man. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, you know, you see so many families that just, they just get destroyed by, by alcohol. And it's just really cool being, being just a positive light for other family members of mine that, that I just, I love and that, and just through my actions and just being there for them and can get them sober too. And Dustin, we have had countless conversations about sobriety. I mean, hundreds of conversations and if, if there's one thing I can summarize that you keep saying is life is just easier without alcohol. Comment a little bit more on that. Uh, yeah, one thing I've noticed, every single aspect of my life is better. Like whether it's physical, emotional, just psychological, every single aspect's better. Obviously, I dropped 30 pounds. Suddenly, my health is extremely better. You know, I have much better endurance Oh, and I don't have sleep apnea anymore. <laughs> yeah, you used to snore big time, man. We we do these camping trips. It was no fun to be in a tent or anywhere near Dusty. Good God. Yeah, everybody was racing to get to bed before I did. Yeah, you don't snow anymore. Like people like you at all times of the camping trips now, not just during the daytime. Yeah, it's wonderful sleeping through the night. So you man. pissed a lot of people off there. Oh, dude, <laughs> just with your snoring. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we'd go out of town on a road trip, see a hotel or anything. Everybody would just be like, oh, "Damn it!" <laughs> yeah, that, that, that problem's just gone. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, it's so great. Yeah, no, Sleeping through the night and no sleep apnea machines. Yeah. It solves a lot of problems. Yeah. And then, you know, especially, you know, with things like psychologically and, you know, like, you know, these things still exist, but just like all the bad emotions, you know, they still exist like they do in everybody, but it's just the, the occurrence is so far less like things like envy and spite and jealousy. Like they just, uh, that poison, the alcohol just would poison my brain, man. And there'd just be, there'd be times where just like for like a month, I just, just felt toxic, you know, and it made me a shitty friend, shitty brother, shitty son. Yeah, uh, I just, it would just, it would just it would come out, you know, and things I would say and, you know, I'd try to joke around, but it would just come out mean, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and so now that's just, that doesn't exist anymore. You know, like all my, like I said earlier, all my relationships now are just, just a million times better because I'm just a better friend and a better person to be around. Dusty, we've reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer this question within 30, 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Let's do it. Here's a curveball here. Number one, true or false, love is the answer and why? Absolutely. Love uh, love cures everything. Love, uh, love sets out positive vibes and love conquers all, right? Yeah. How has that, that view changed in sobriety? Or I think break. love has made me a more empathetic person. And so, like, if I see someone that's struggling, I... Yeah, I used to struggle with empathy. Did I always just be like, man, get your shit together. You know, it's on you. But now that's not always the case, man. No, you know, if you really, you know, you need help. We all need help. We all need a support group. And, you know, if it's just, just being empathetic and just being an ear for someone to listen to, man, and if that, that could change their life. Yeah, we're all in this together. Just letting it out. So just, yeah, love and just being there for people, whether it's a stranger or, a, you know, a dear friend or, relative just uh, just love everybody and next question dusty what was your worst memory from drinking apart from the tipping point moment so worst memory i guess would be um so after i moved back from kentucky in uh 2011 i had to uh i had a con i have a condo out here but it was i was renting it out so for like two months i stayed out at uh out at my mom's house and and uh, I remember it was like a work night, and I just I tied one on, and so my, my mom comes comes into my room. She's like, "Are you going to work?" And on Sunday, I just hear this scream. She's like, "Ah, Buster! Buster's the cat!" And I open my eyes, and there is a giant puddle in the middle of my bedroom that I do not re- remember putting there, but I'm sure it was me. But amazingly in it like a turn of stroke of luck my mom blamed it on the cat and she started rubbing the cat's nose in it oh, wow. <laughs> so i rolled with it i'm like yeah buster stupid buster <laughs> wow <laughs> so, yeah so that was uh you know that was a terrible memory at the point i'm just like wow that's bad <laughs> so, so that was yeah probably the worst memory but looking back on it now you know thankfully we can laugh about it you yeah, know yeah thanks for the only one that one. got hurt was uh buster yeah, thanks for taking that one on Sorry, the chin, buddy. Buster. <laughs> <laughs> We've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that the drinking's got to go? By the look on Buster's face. <laughs> A horrified <laughs> feline creature. I did not deserve this. And, and your mom named Wanda is a sweetheart. I can just picture this whole situation unfolding, and it's beautiful. Yes, thank you very much for that moment. What's your plan at sobriety moving forward, Dusty? Let's see. So my plan moving forward, and, and it's kind of just utilizing what I've been doing, obviously staying in the Cafe RE community, you know, being uh, being an ear when I need to be an ear or just, uh, you know, just creating those relationships. Like going, I'm going to go to Nashville, which is going to be awesome. It's going to be real fun. We're going to Predators game. Predators yeah. and Kings on oh, the 21st. February. Good time. I don't have a hockey team, so I'll be a Predators fan for yeah, a day, man. Time. Just get wrapped up in it. And then, but yeah, like other things that have helped me is just getting out of my comfort zone. Like I just realized that I don't need alcohol to give me that liquid courage to do things. Funny story, like uh, one time you just decided to sign me up for an open mic. Oh, I did. Comedy night uh, when we were hanging out after kickball. And I had about five minutes 
or, or so to think of material. Yeah, let me tell the first part of the story. You can tell the second. Okay. So Dusty and I were, were champions. We're on a, a kickball team, and we, we won the Denim team. Venom. Denim Venom. We, we play in denim, uh, denim shorts. I have a denim vest. You have a denim cape. Yeah, it's incredible. And we show up to the bar wearing full denim get-up, and I walk up to the guy who's running the open mic comedy night, and I say, hey, here's here's 20 bucks. Can you get my buddy Dusty to the top of this list? He looks around the bar, looks at his list, looks up at me, looks at the $20, takes $20. I go back and tell you, Dusty, you're on the, you're on the, you're on the stage open mic in five minutes. You're like, bullshit. I'm like, nope. And what happened after that? <laughs> We're both stone cold sober, by the way. Yeah. You know, uh, if you would have told me before that happened, like, hey, this is going to happen to you, I probably be like oh my gosh i'm gonna freak out <laughs> but the total opposite happened i was just like all right let's do it and uh, so yeah i had about five minutes to think of material i look ridiculous i am head to toe in denim and and you know ridiculous yellow sunglasses uh, i was gonna to- make a total ass of myself so but uh i didn't have any fear man i was just like all right let's do it Thought of some material and went up there. Didn't do too bad for like three minutes. Like that was about all the time, all the material I had, man. For but what I- it was, you did fantastic. <laughs> there were authentic laugh. There was authentic laughter from the audience, not at you, but with you. Yeah, we were was- all super impressed. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so yeah, just that was obviously not in my comfort zone you know but public speaking really isn't for everybody and that includes me but uh yeah getting up there and telling some jokes man something about it i was just like all right <laughs> uh next question in regards to sobriety what's the best advice you've ever received yeah just get a just get some sober friends you know have a that's like for me i'm a i'm a big time just social guy so and then having but so having so sober people in my in my life that uh you know because you know my, my friends that do drink like they fully support me but they don't 100 percent understand you know so having like friends that are also sober that uh, you know can just just air out just things that are bothering you or whatever about just or things you're struggling with with alcohol and whatnot just having someone that actually understands is probably probably the biggest thing that's helped me that's a great way to say it having somebody that supports you um, and understands because a lot of times yeah we have the support of our friends but they don't necessarily understand and and again i'm going to piggyback off what dusty just said find yourself a dusty and like i said how we started this episode because i'm so fortunate to have uh, one of my best friends who lives in 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 the same town i mean and he's sober and it, it took me a while to to find this person and you're there's a lot on the line i think my life depends on having these these close support systems that are also sober and also understand it so again thank you and before we depart dusty give listeners your own favorite you might be an alcoholic gift line you might be an alcoholic if if you uh pee on your floor in the middle of the night and blame it on the cat yeah that one <laughs> yeah that, that works that's a good one dusty i'm so glad we finally did this interview today's the first day of 2019 it's already been a great day Man, thank you arrived yeah it's great. Yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us, Dusty. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Love you, buddy. While recording this episode, I realized there's a third tipping point we want to avoid. So a tipping point is inevitable when it comes to the progression of alcohol. Either the first one, where the idea pops in your head that alcohol might not be serving you. Either the second tipping point of you're moving forward in life without alcohol, you're taking action. But there's a third tipping point that will happen, and this one we want to avoid. If we are completely unconscious of the role that alcohol is playing in our lives, without any action taken, a tipping point will still be reached. This will be something bad. This could be a car wreck. This could be a DUI. This could be losing a job. This could be a divorce. This could be bankruptcy. This could be death. I want to have positive energy on this podcast, but I also want to be real with you guys. I once heard in a 12-step meeting, and I think this is true, that there's only three outcomes with this disease. You can get sober. You can go to jail or you can die. And I haven't been doing this that long, but I still agree with that statement. Life will eventually provide us with a tipping point if we don't take any action or we're completely unconscious with the alcohol we're consuming. Again, this is a tipping point we don't want to experience. But like I covered earlier with the first tipping point, if you're listening to a recovery podcast right now, you've got this thing called awareness and it is building. Like I said, it's a one-way street. Once this awareness starts to build, you can't go back. 
So I don't think you're going to be in the category of the third tipping point, but it's still something to be aware of. There's also a tipping point. Gosh, there's a lot of tipping points now that I think about it. There's another tipping point for a culture or society that embraces sobriety or just wants environments where alcohol is not present. So I created a Sober is Sexy group on meetup.com about two years ago. Number one, just to build a sober community in my local area of Bozeman, Montana. Um, but two, just to kind of try it out. And after a couple months, there was over 150 members. And I was looking through the member list. And it's, a, it's a small town. And a lot of them weren't in recovery. In fact, the majority of them drank. And I reached out to some of them individually said, hey, I saw you join the Sober Sexy group. Uh, are you struggling with alcohol? And they said, no, I, I just want to be in an environment where the focal point is not alcohol. And the same response came when I reached out to a couple more people. That's what they said. They said, hey, well, I'm, I'm kind of just sick of going to bars and, and meeting people on Friday and Saturday night when, when people are drunk. And so there is this desire at the heart and soul level to be in situations, to be in an environment where the focal point is not to get shit-faced. So that is a cool tipping point as well that I know is gaining more momentum. There are sober bars popping up worldwide. There are sober music fests. There was a sobriety fest this past September with a headliner out of Seattle. Macklemore, that would be his name. Recovery Elevator, I hope your year started off right. And if it hasn't started off right, that's okay. Because each day is a brand new day to start again. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. Thank you.